need a Bible, go ahead and grab those. If you have one, grab it. Um, if you need one, there's some on the chairs there around you, underneath you, in front of you. If you're using those, we're going to page 1259, and then for everybody, we're going to Acts chapter 22. So we are continuing in our We Are the Church series, which will end here uh, at the end of next month. So March 31st, I believe, is our last sermon in Acts. Uh, we'll, we're kind of winding toward the end. But uh, this is uh, where we've been off and on for the last uh, almost two years now. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to pick back up in Acts. Now, um, as you're turning there, let me tell you, if you've been here with us for the, um, the messages in Acts, you're going to recognize a lot of what we go through this morning because it's already been presented in the book of Acts at least once, and it's going to be presented again. It's a familiar story. If you haven't been with us, this is great because now you get to hear this really great story about one of the most famous Christians ever. I'm one of the most, uh, the Christians who made the most impact ever. So Acts chapter 22 is where we're going to be. We're talking about the Apostle Paul this morning. And so in case you're wondering, the Apostle Paul. And then um, let me ask you this as we kind of get ourselves primed to get in there. Have you ever considered that perhaps the things that you're going through, the situations that you find yourself in may not actually be about you at all? but they may be opportunities for God to use you, let you be a witness for him. At the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, Jesus told his followers um, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and in all the regions of the earth. And the whole book of Acts is, is following those followers of Jesus as they are witnessing to what Jesus has done and what he's continuing to do. And sometimes in order to be a witness for Christ, to be a witness for Jesus, to be able to tell people and point them to who God is and what he's doing, you've got to get in front of some people that you wouldn't normally in your normal rhythms get in front of. And so sometimes God in his sovereignty, God in his, his absolute wisdom orchestrates some things, works some things together to put you where you would have never dreamed you would be and maybe you would have never chosen it and yet he's gonna use it for his glory and his purposes. That's what we're gonna see this morning in Acts chapter 22. And we're gonna see Paul's story about how he's, his life was changed. And so we're gonna break it up into three different um, parts and we're gonna walk through it. Now, this is a real simple way, by the way, as we go through the, 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 the verses, I'm hoping that what you're gonna pick up on is this is a good way for you to tell your story. Right, so we, we, we've got stories. If you've trusted in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, you've got a story, a testimony is how we call it in church world, but a story is maybe a little less, uh, um, a little more clear for people who aren't inside the church normally, but a story of how God has worked in your life. And we should always be looking for opportunities to tell that story. And I'm hoping for some of you this morning, maybe you haven't thought about that in a while, and this morning it's going to stir that up for you. For others of you, I'm hoping it's going to encourage you to find opportunities to tell that story more often and more frequently. So this is a good way to, to, to tell that story. And we're going to start with this. This is who I was. This is, this is how your story can start. This is who I was. You don't, you don't have to do anything fancy. This, this is who I was. And so here's, here's how Paul starts. Now, now Paul, um, last week we saw, um, if you remember, he was encouraged by the Jewish believers in Jerusalem to go and participate in a 
purification process in the temple so that the Jewish believers in Jerusalem would know that Paul was in fact not abandoning the law or teaching Jews to abandon the law. And so Paul, remember we said he conceded. It wasn't a sinful issue. He didn't need to cleanse himself because of any sin. He just decided for the sake of gospel peace in that context in Jerusalem, this is something he could do. So he goes to the temple and, and he cleanses himself and participates in this ritual. Well, we stopped the, the verses there and we pick it up there today and what actually happened is Paul doing something that would be good for the sake of gospel peace actually ends up now imprisoned. Why? Because it put him very public in front of his critics. And his critics use the opportunity of him being public in the temple to cause a riot and to ultimately get him arrested. And so we find Paul now having been arrested. And the riot, they say, Luke tells us, is so bad that the Roman guard who was guarding him had to take him into custody and bring him away from the crowd. But just before he's taken away from the crowd, he stops the guard and he says, can I say something? Can I say something to this crowd? And that's where we're picking up this morning is what Paul's gonna say to this group of Jewish people rioting against him. And so here's what he says, starting in verse three is where we're gonna pick up. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated with strictness under Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors and was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way, even to the point of death, tying up both men and women and putting them in prison as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. From them, I am also received letters to the brothers in Damascus and I was on my way to, take to make arrest there and bring the prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Let's pause there for a minute. So, so Paul... Luke used to call him Saul, and that was another name that he often went by. Um, Saul was a Jewish person who had grown up and he became a Pharisee, a religious leader among the Jews. And he was a very popular and a very good religious leader among the Jews. And so we saw him originally in the book of Acts. We picked up on him in Acts chapter seven because when, when um, the, the Christian movement that Luke calls the way started to pick up, it threatened the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people um, and Paul, Saul leading that was persecuting the members of the way because they viewed these Christians, these members of the way as apostates, as people abandoning, abandoning the Jewish faith. And so Paul, Saul, he would go after these Jewish people who had become believers in Christ and he would imprison them. And he would, he would see to it that some were put to death. So in Acts chapter seven, where we were first introduced to Saul, we saw the first Christian martyr, Stephen, being stoned to death. And we're told that the, the people stoning Stephen took off their, their coats, their, their outer garments, and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's how Luke introduced us. But then by chapter nine, what we saw was, was Saul was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus and he's confronted with Christ. And that's the story he's gonna retell us now. So in Acts chapter nine, you got that story. But Luke was telling that story, third person. Now you've got the story and Paul is gonna tell his own story or God's story of his life to these Jewish people now that he is, he is facing. So he says this, I, he starts with this. He says, this is who I was. I'm a Jew. That's, that's who I currently am, I'm a Jew. But I was born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in the city. So the first thing Paul tells his Jewish audience is, this is where I was born. 
right? Because that would be an important thing to, to, to use to start off telling these Jewish people because he's now trying to help these people that are writing. He's trying to help them identify with his story. You're like me in this way. We're, we're more alike than we are different. And he says, I'm a Jew just like you. He said, I was born in Sicilia, but I was, I was grown up in this town. What town? Jerusalem. Now, if you're a Jewish person, guess where the Mecca is? Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. That's where you would go and travel to worship. And so Paul says, look, I'm a Jew and I grew up in the Jewish capital, Jerusalem. He said, that's who I am. That's who I was. Now, that's important because he's speaking to people who put their identity in that. He's speaking to people who put their identity in their heritage, their background. Uh, he's speaking to people who believe, and we saw this with Jesus when he was interacting with some of these Jewish leaders. They would say, we are Jewish. We are from the family of Abraham. Abraham is our father. And the assumption was, because I'm a Jew, because I was born a Jew, I get access to the kingdom automatically, just by nature of who I am. And Paul has found that that's not the case. But he's appealing to them and he's saying, I'm a Jew and I grew up in this town too. So he's saying, look, I used to put all the stock for getting to the kingdom in who I am and where I grew up in Jerusalem. Now, now pause for a minute because as we're thinking about our story and you're thinking about how God has worked in your life, some of you right now, you, you haven't trusted in Christ, but you're putting all of your stock in who you are. Well, my, my parents are believers and they're good Christian people. They go to church. So therefore I'm covered. I'm good. Or maybe you think, well, you know, I have a, I have a long line of reputation in my family of being well-respected in the community or in this particular sphere or region. And so you're putting all of your stock in, I'm, I'm going to be good because I'm, I'm, I'm better than most. I mean, because the Jewish people thought, you know, there, there's no other, there's no other kind of person to be. Like they, they would pray prayers. Some of those prayers included, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a Gentile, a non-Jew. Incidentally, the men would also play, probably thinks I'm not a woman, but that's, that was a different time, right? But they were these types of prayers that they would put their stock in their identity as their background, their, their heritage. And some of you, maybe you do the same thing. You're like, well, my last name is this. Therefore, I'm okay. People know me. Right? You, you put in your, your, your stock, you're putting your, your, your acceptance by God or your, your eternal destiny, you're putting that all in, well, this is my heritage. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're on the other side of that. Maybe, maybe that is your story. That, that was your story. When you're thinking about this is who I was, you're thinking, that's, that's what I did. I thought for the longest time that because I was respected in the community, because I was respected in my name, because of who I am, or maybe you're even thinking because of my ethnicity, because of my race, because of my gender, I'm a little further ahead than others. And you were confronted with the grace of God and the truth of, of God, and you realize that is not the case. Maybe on the flip side of that, some of you are going, I can't be accepted by God because of where I come from, who I belong to, who my parents are. I mean, I, I can remember um, I, I was making a connection one day between someone and who their parents were, and, and I just said, are your parents so-and-so? And then that person says, yes, please don't hold it against me. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know anything about your parents. Now I want to dig because now I think there's something there, right? But, but, you know, sometimes we attach ourselves and we're like, please don't hold that against me because, because I, I, I'm trying to break away from that. I'm different from that. I'm not like them. Please don't associate me. And maybe some of you are still stuck in that and you're thinking, God will never accept me because of who my family is, because of what type of people we are, because how people view us. Paul says, I'm a Jew. 
I was born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city. He appeals to his heritage. This is who I was. He goes on though, and he says, I was educated with the strictness under Gamaliel, according to the law of the ancestors. There were um, lots of rabbis, a Jewish teacher in, in Paul's day. In fact, a lot of people called Jesus a rabbi, and he was, in a sense, because he was a teacher. But there were a few uh, uh, rabbis who rose to the surface as very popular, very well-respected, very followed. One of them was Gamaliel. In fact, if you're reading other history books outside of the Bible, you will hear his name referred to oftentimes. And Paul was a disciple of this man. Paul was educated under this man. And so as Paul was growing up in Jerusalem, he was being trained by one of the best Bible scholars, okay, it would have been Old Testament, but one of the best Old Testament scholars of the day. He got some of the highest education that was available to a Jewish man. And he says, this was my, my education. And so he's appealing to this Jewish audience. They would have known the name Gamaliel. And he's saying, look, this is who I was. Guys, look, I am a Jew. I was born in, 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 in Tarsus, but I grew up in this town and I was educated by the best Jewish teacher there is. And he appealed to his education. And you know, there's other spots where, where in Philippians 3, where, where Paul is writing to this church, he's talking about who he used to be. And he lists in there, he says, I was a Jew born of the, uh, of the people of Israel, born from the tribe of Benjamin, which the first king of Israel came from Benjamin. So he was appealing to, I come from the same stock as the first king. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, because if you're a boy in the Jewish society, that's when you needed to have that done to follow the law. And he's, he's, he's talking about how he was educated. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, which means that he was a religious teacher. He, he studied the Old Testament scriptures. He knew them inside and out. He was a teacher of the Old Testament scriptures, and he was an example as to how to implement and live those out. He says, I was educated by the best. Some of you, like Paul, maybe think because of your education, because of your training, because of, because of you, you got a bachelor's degree or you got, on, you got a master's degree because you went on, you got a doctorate of some kind. You think, well, I'm of a higher class. Maybe, maybe you still got that in the bag and you're thinking, you know, education is the key. Education is the, sol the, the thing that solves the problems of the world. I've got some of the highest education there is. Then you're thinking, you know, my eternal destiny, it, it, I'm, I've got to be ahead of everyone else because I've got this education. Right now, now for people in my, in my, my world, in my sphere as a pastor, as a, a person who went to seminary, so a lot of times, not all the case, and it's not necessarily required, but a lot of times pastors will go and they'll get a bachelor's degree of some kind whether it's Bible college or not. And then they'll go on to seminary, right? And then and seminary is where you're working on getting your master's degree and, and you're working on learning the Bible and you're working on learning how to teach the Bible and how to do all kinds of things in the church world, right? A lot of times in, in, in my circles like, like that, um, that comes with a lot of pride. And it's not uncommon for seminary students, Bible college students, to think that we're better than everyone else because we study the scriptures as our textbook. What have you read today? You read Plato? Give me a break. I read the Bible. I read the book of James five times, right? Or what? I mean, that's our textbook. It's our primary textbook. Now, I worked at a Bible college for six years, and there were really great people there, and then there were people that came through. You're going, oh, please don't come through and get a degree from us because you could already see the pride swelling up. Now, I can't tell that and then not tell them myself because I'm the same way. Right? So, so this kind of knowledge, this kind of education, it's easy to get arrogant with it. And especially if you're being educated in the Bible. Why? Because what tends to happen, one, there's spiritual attacks, certainly. But two, like Paul says in another one of his letters, he says, knowledge puffs up. 
see, what happens is we grow so rapidly in our knowledge and we don't grow in our heart application of that knowledge that our head knowledge far surpasses our heart and our relationship with the Lord. And so we start operating thinking that because we know more, we're more mature spiritually. And that's just not the case. In fact, that can be more damaging sometimes. Right? And so education sometimes can be a barrier because we think, well, even in seminary, people get saved in seminary. It's crazy. People who go to the seminary and one of the requirements to be accepted is that you be a believer in Christ. Now, the best that the admissions uh, uh, counselors can discern, they, they discern that, but you've got people sitting in Bible classes training to be missionaries and pastors and seminary professors and Bible college professors and women's ministry leaders and youth workers and, and all that kind of stuff. And then so every now and then what, what you find happening is someone sitting in the class and the gospel is being preached and all of a sudden they realize the conviction of the spirit comes upon them, they've not genuinely believed in Christ. Here they are being trained for ministry and they're not even a believer in Christ and they get saved right there in seminary. Sometimes that doesn't happen and people graduate seminary and they go on to be pastors and missionaries and professors and they're still not believers in Christ. Knowledge, education can be a huge barrier. It's a great gift. And listen, for those of us who, who in any kind of field of education, we have got to keep in mind, we learn and we grow at the, the feet of others who have already gotten that knowledge one way or another and they're passing it on. We didn't earn that knowledge necessarily. It's being given and imparted to us. And so some of you, you, you've lived your life 40 years as a believer in Christ and you've come to some of the same conclusions as your own personal study that maybe I was taught in seminary. And guess who values it more? Why? Because it was just spoon-fed to me. Here's what this verse means. Here's how we conclude that you, you've wrestled with it, right? So there, there's something to be said there, but it, education can puff up. And, and Paul says, look, this is who I was. I was educated with, with the strictness under Gamaliel. And some of you, maybe that's what you're thinking. Uh, my eternal destiny is kind of going to be okay because I've, I've got the education. But maybe on the flip side, you're, you're thinking I can't be accepted by God. I didn't even graduate high school. Can God really use someone like me? Can God, really, can, can God really bring someone like me into assembly? Why would he want to? And I'll just remind you that the people that Jesus picked to be his followers, the people who would then later change the world, were some of the lowest of the low in society. Fishermen, uneducated. Tax collectors, those were traitors against the Jewish people. Zealots, those were people who were rebelling against the government. I mean, this was not a group of seminary graduates, Bible college graduates. The people Jesus picked and he prayed about it the night before and obviously long before that it was already, already set in God's plan that these were the men. They weren't formally trained. Instead, Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Paul says, I was educated. He goes on and he says, and I was zealous for God just as you are today. See, they're rioting because Paul is abandoning the law. They're, they're acting out in zeal and enthusiasm, trying to protect the, the purity of the Jewish faith. And Paul says, I was just like you. In fact, my zeal went far beyond yours because I was actually killing people who were following Christ. That's how, how zealous I was for protecting the law and the purity of law. I was going after people who were leaving this faith. People who were following them, this Jesus who they were claiming were their Messiah. If anyone could claim to be zealous, he says, it was me. This is who I was. So he's appealing to this Jewish audience. And he says, just like you, we have more alike than we have different. And now, now Paul's zeal, 
uh, was confronted on that, that road to Damascus. See, he was actually on his way just north of, of Israel to Damascus where he was going to go persecute more followers of the way. He had letters. That's what he says here. He had letters from the high priests and the councils in, in Jerusalem giving him authority to go and get Jewish people in these other towns and bring them back because they had been following the way. They had been following Jesus. He said, I have letters from them. The council gave me approval. That's how zealous he was. You know, sometimes we let our zeal get in the way of believing in Christ. Sometimes we, we, we mistake zeal and enthusiasm for good things, maybe even right things, and we mistake that zeal and enthusiasm for a relationship with the Lord. So, so I think this is really important for us in, in our circles to hear because a lot of times in churches that we would call conservative evangelical churches, a lot of times what happens is we're very zealous people. We're zealous for the Bible and we're zealous for believing rightly about the Bible. And so we get, we get certain uh, beliefs stuck in our head, right? And, and they may be right. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have conclusions on some of these things, but they're secondary issues, they have nothing to do with salvation, acceptance by God. They have their secondary issues like people in, in Christian churches can disagree on this and, and still believe in the gospel and go to heaven. Right? They're, they're those type of issues. And sometimes we get so zealous for, for things like, you know, maybe it's the end, our view of the end times. When does Jesus come back? Is he going to come before the rapture or after the rapture? Is there going to be a literal seven years or is there going to be a literal thousand year kingdom? I mean, how's that going to work? And, and maybe other people say, no, it's not going to be literal. It's just all kind of symbolic. And then we pit ourselves against one another and we make the other the enemy and they're not the enemy. They just have a different uh, opinion and conclusion that they came to as they equally well studied the scriptures. And we get real zealous and we start to, to replace zeal for the gospel with zeal for a secondary issue. Sometimes we do that. It could be other good issues that are worth speaking on. We're standing like abortion, maybe. Maybe a church and a group of people get all zealous and enthusiastic about we're standing against abortion and we're standing. And you know what? You, you should have a biblical view on abortion. And, and listen, let me pause there for a minute and say, if you've had an abortion, that's not to condemn you because grace is, is sufficient and abounding and, and Christ forgives that. And, and listen, we all go through things and we've all made mistakes where we go back and we go, if I only knew, or at the time I didn't know, or even I knew, but I did it anyway. Listen, God's grace abounds. So I want, I want you to hear me say that. But then we get real zealous about it and we say, I'm standing on this. This is our issue, right? And, and listen, we should have a biblical view on that. But sometimes we replace, we replace our zeal for the gospel with zeal for standing against abortion. Or our zeal for the gospel again, with our zeal for standing against homosexuality. Or our zeal for the gospel against our zeal for, for standing on, on a particular platform for um, politics, Republican versus Democrat. You know, when we, we replace our zeal and we put it on something else. And listen, in our circles, that is a dangerous, dangerous trap that we fall into often. We get real zealous about things. And they could be right things and they could be good things. But we mistake our zeal for those things as, well, I hold this belief, I stand on this, therefore I'm good with God. And it has nothing to do with that. You know Democrats go to heaven too. <laughs> you, you know people who've had abortions can go to heaven too. You know people who, who are, whose sin is manifesting itself in their life in the, in the way of homosexuality can go to heaven too. Right? And that's not to, to excuse any of those things, but you know that, that those people that you might have pitted yourself against go to heaven too if they have trusted in Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And you know that other stuff? You know, it, it gets worked down along the way, maybe. 
And you know what? Guess what? They're on, the, they're on their side, believers in Christ who just have a different uh, uh, opinion or a view on, on some of those things. They're looking at some of us and they're going, it'll get worked out along the way. They'll, they'll come along, right? So we get real zealous for stuff and we stand on things that, that are not um, primary. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a biblical worldview on these things. Hear me. And I'm not saying you should condone sin. Hear me. But what I'm saying is we get real zealous for things and we make those higher than the gospel. And that can't be. Can't be. If you're known for, for standing against something more than you're known for, for the gospel, your priorities are out of whack if you're a follower of Christ. If you're known for a particular subset of views that you have more than you're known for the gospel, your priorities are out of whack. Pursue those things, absolutely. Be involved in those things, absolutely. But don't let your zeal get replaced by those things. Paul says, I was zealous, but he was zealous for the wrong thing. There's a lot of people who hold to sincere beliefs about something, but they can still be sincerely wrong. Okay, Paul, this is who I was. This is who I was. But then as you're telling your story, there comes a point if you've trusted in Christ, you've got to tell that. Right? A testimony, a, a story of what God's done cannot skip this part. This is what God has done. And I'm phrasing that exactly like it needs to be put. This is what God has done. Because as you tell what God has done in your life, there, there's, not, there's not room for you to say, this is what I was done. That part of the story is what we just covered. You want to brag? You want to boast? We just covered that. This is who I was. And all of that, Paul would say in Philippians 3 when he's writing it, he's all of that, just a pile of, mm. Philippians 3, a very strong word he uses there, but we got kids in here. All right, so he says, but this is what God has done. So now he's telling about this road. Verse six, as I was in route and near Damascus, about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. Then I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I'm Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. Those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So Paul's on his way. Jesus reveals himself to Paul, confronts him in, 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 in his, on his way to being persecuting uh, the followers of Christ. We go on in verse 10. So I asked, well, what should I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told about everything that you have been designated to do. So what we find out is that God has appointed Paul to a certain ministry. Get up to the, go to Damascus there. You'll be told about everything that you have been designated to do. Verse 11, since I could not see because of the brilliance of that light, I came to Damascus led by the hand of those who were with me. So Paul had been blinded. Verse 12, a man named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and stood beside me and said to me, brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I looked up and saw him. So Paul had been blinded. He's led to this believer in Christ who was also a Jew, Ananias. Ananias had a vision from God that says, Paul, Saul is coming to you and I want you to speak to him. So, so Ananias does that. Now, by the way, um, back on April 15th of 2018, we covered this same story from Acts chapter nine. So if you want more detail on Paul's story, you can go back and listen to that because I'm kind of flying through some of this. So Paul regains his sight. And then we go in verse 14. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has already chosen you to know this, his will, to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, and to hear a command from his mouth because you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen 
and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away, calling on his name. This is what God has done. See, at some point, every, every person who has come to Christ, at some point, God confronted them in his grace with their sin. The Spirit brought about conviction of sin, and by God's grace, we were able to see how enslaved we are to sin and how rebellious we were against God. And by His grace, He opened our heart that we would be able to respond to, to what God has revealed to us in Christ. And so we were able to trust in Christ, who stood in the place of sinful people, even though He was innocent and we are guilty. He stood in our place so that we would not endure the wrath of God because of our sin. Instead, Christ took that wrath for us. And so what happens is an exchange takes place where, where Jesus gets the wrath of God because of our sin. He takes the punishment for our sin and instead we get the righteousness that he earned. And he stood in our place at death and then he died and then three days later he rose from the dead overcoming sin, overcoming death, showing us that God has accepted that sacrifice and now it is worthy to cover us. This is what God has done. And Paul was experiencing that as he was confronted by Christ and his eyes were open, his heart was open to see and understand the gospel and he responds to that. Listen, you don't have a testimony if you don't have that. You might be able to tell a story about what's going on in your life, but if you don't have that moment where, where God has confronted you in his grace with your sin and you've been uh, able to understand the gospel and you've responded to the gospel that Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, if you don't have that, you may not belong to Christ. And you may be telling your story and you're missing some details. And I hear testimonies all the time. I mean, when I was an admissions uh, director at the college, part of our job in the admissions department was to review testimonies, review testimonies. And for 500 or so students a semester, we were reviewing testimonies. And the majority of those testimonies had no clear articulation of belief in Christ. Now, part of that is a failure on the church and pastor's part because we don't teach well enough. But another part of it is people just, they don't know how to articulate it and maybe they don't have that as their story. And so they would, they would say things like, man, I, I've always been a believer in Christ. Nope, no you aren't. You're not born a believer in Christ. You're not. Uh, I, I always grew up in church. That's great, but that doesn't make you a believer in Christ. My parents were always good Christian people. Great doesn't make you a believer in Christ. We hear all kinds of stuff, right? God worked in, in a miraculous way in my life. He saved me out of the trenches in Vietnam or, or he, he saved me from this tragic car accident and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for when I called on the name of the Lord, but never is it there. And you know what? You could have been saved by God from that tragic car accident or out of the trenches and you promised God, yeah, get me out of this and I'll follow you. And yet, if you've never called the name of the Lord, Guess what? He's just good and gracious to you and he showed you his kindness by saving you out of, out of that trench or from that car accident. But if you've not called on the name of the Lord, you don't have a testimony. This is what God has done. When you tell your story, you've got to tell people, this is who I was, but this is what God has done. Um, by the way, verse 16 could be confusing. Ananias says, get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on his name. Ananias is not teaching that Water baptism is how your sins are washed away. 
Now we've seen this in several other places throughout the book of Acts. Um, there was such a close connection between you, you call in the name of the Lord and you get baptized. There was not a concept of an unbaptized follower of Christ, an unbaptized believer. It just wasn't there because if you, if you trusted in Christ, the next step was I get baptized. And so they were so closely linked that you could speak of them as almost simultaneous. But the, the uh, calling on his name you see that at the end? Calling on his name is where the sins are actually washed away. Water baptism pictures what happened. And so Ananias is saying, hey, hey, don't delay. Go get baptized and identify yourself with Christ. All right, so this is what God has done. But every good story doesn't stop there. Every testimony doesn't stop with this is what God has done. If your testimony stops with this is what God has done, one, I'm gonna question, are you really a believer? Because if you're a believer in Christ, your testimony continues and God continues to grow you and continues to work in your life and shape and change the way you view things. And so you gotta also be able to say, look, God did this for me and maybe it was, it was 30, 40 years ago, but he's continued to do this in my life and he shows up here and he shows up there and he's continuing to, to be faithful to me. And Paul goes on in his story and he says this. Verse 17, then I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord saying to me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So Paul's told he's not gonna be heard here so he needs to get ready to leave. Verse 19, I replied, Lord, they themselves know that I am prison and beat those in various synagogues who believed in you. They know my reputation, God. Verse 20, when the blood of your witness Stephen was shed, I myself was standing nearby, approving and guarding the cloaks of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is what God is gonna continue to do in Paul's life. I'm gonna use you among non-Jewish people. Now next week, we're gonna get more into that part of it, but this is what God is doing. So this is who I was. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing. And so let me, let me kind of tie this all together and say, when's the last time you told your story? When's the last time you told someone, this is who I was, this is what God has done, this is what he's still doing? You should be looking for opportunities to tell that story because that is one of the primary ways that God is going to use to draw other people to himself. Look, you and I have more in common than we're different and listen, this is what God has done for me. But make sure when you tell that story, you don't forget about what God is doing. And so with that, some of you have heard my story I've shared it several times about the type of home I grew up in, a broken home, um, the type of environment it was, and yet God in his grace pulled me out of a life of seeking acceptance and approval by performing, literally performing music and, and, and plays and stuff like that, pulled me out of that and into his family where I know that I'm accepted and approved by him. Some of you heard that. I don't want to share that with you today. Instead, I want to take just a few more minutes. I want to share with you something that God is still doing. And so... Um, Jonas, Jonas James, our, our little boy that was born um, four weeks ago today. Um, the name means gift of God. Now, I don't particularly care for the name. It was not my favorite name choice. <laughs> I wanted Joshua James, something else. I, but Jonas, I, I vetoed forever. And we call him JJ anyway, which is a nickname that I've had among a few people. But Jonas means gift from God. 
And as soon as Lindsay told me that it means that, because I, I, she kept pushing it, kept pushing, I said, okay, fine. Well, does it even mean anything good? You know, that didn't matter with our third kid. It doesn't mean anything, you know? But now all of a sudden it means something. She said, yeah, it means gift of God in some language, you know? You know how you can find whatever, you know? <laughs> gift of God, I said, wow. Settled. Here's why. Um, we had three girls, Karis, Kaylin, and Kinsley. And Kinsley's now three, almost four. And um, Lindsay and I, for the last three years, have not been on the same page for having another kid. We just, we were never on the same page, different pages. We weren't, um, uh, we weren't uh, angry. We weren't really tense about it. We just weren't on the same page. One of us wanted more, and one of us did not, okay? And so we would discuss it every now and then, and we just were never on the same page. New Year's Eve... 2017, one of the things we do on New Year's Eve is we listen to a song, uh, that's a uh, song, and then we reflect on the past year, we pray through the past year, and then we look to the next year, and we pray about what God's going to do in that next year. And Lindsay says to me in New Year's Eve 2017, we're in Houston in her parents' house, and she says, you know what, let's, let's pray about having a boy. Because we've never asked God specifically if he would give us a boy. And now I was thrilled about that because now you know what side I was on, right? <laughs> she had been praying that I would come around and I'd been praying that she would come around. But she said, let's pray and let's just ask God if he would give us a boy. And so we did. We prayed that night and we start praying. Uh, maybe a couple weeks later when we got back in January, one of you uh, came up to Lindsay actually and said, ask Lindsay how you can be praying for us. Now, Lindsay is um, uh, a fairly private person. Um, you got to get really close to her to really kind of get to know her. And, um, you know, typically if you go to her, she's not usually going to give you the most intimate things, right? She's going to give you legit, genuine things, but she's not going to give you the most intimate things, right? But this time, for whatever reason, to, to this person, she said, you know what? You can join us in praying about having a boy. Justin and I just started praying about having a boy. And this person said, absolutely, we'll pray about that for you. A couple weeks later, we, we were still doing two services here. And after the first service, that person came up to me after the service. And that person was just excited and had this huge smile on his, on his face. And he, and he says to me, we're not praying anymore. We're praising. And I'm going, okay, I get what you mean. I'm just kind of, I mean, here's, here's honest, here's what I'm thinking. Okay, God hasn't told me that yet, but thanks. Thanks for praying, right? We're not praise, praying anymore. We're praising. I get what you're saying. God hasn't said that to me, but thanks for praying. Keep praying, right? After the second service that same day, um, we had two visitors, adult twin women. Some of you, a few of you would remember this. Adult twin women. And uh, they dropped into the service. They don't go to this church. In fact, they're from, they were from Midwest City. And the only way I knew them and they had any connection here was I had helped one of them get a hotel room one night as she was trying to get her twin sister out of Canadian County Jail. And so there was just a brief interaction as I was helping her get a room using some of that benevolence money, okay? And I didn't reveal secrets about my life or anything like that. So she wouldn't have known. Any, and I don't post on Facebook a whole lot of stuff. So if you're trying to creep on me, you ain't going to find a whole lot, right? So they come in, they sit through our service. I knew they were here because they probably wanted some help or something. So we're sitting out there in the round table. Um, they're hungry. We give them some leftover donuts, you know, and um, we're sitting around and my middle daughter, Kaylin, runs up to me, hugs me. And I tell Kaylin, I'm going to be a few minutes. Will you go wait in my office? So she goes back to the office. One of the girls, one of the twins says, is that your daughter? I said, yeah, it's my middle daughter. I have three. And she says, well, where's your son? I said, I don't have a son. She goes, yeah, you do. I said, no, I don't. I have three girls. I don't have a son. You really want to argue about this? I know. I mean, I don't even have any of those dark areas of my life like that where like you said that and I got scared all of a sudden. Like, I don't have that. And, and so she goes, hmm. 
Well, I had a vision last night that you had a son. And I said, okay. Now, she has no clue what that other person said to me after the first service. I'm looking at that going, okay, Lord, I'm just going to store that up. And if one day we have a son, I'm looking back on this and I'm going, that was you. Now, incidentally, uh, we found out a week later that those two twin girls were nationally known con artists wanted nationwide. <laughs> and they were now on the run again. But God can speak through a donkey. <laughs> and has. So I'm going, well, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay, you know, I mean, I'm just gonna store that away. I mean, that's kind of unique. It's gonna be a fun story to tell. All right, all right, so we go on and we're still praying and we're not pregnant yet. I had another one of you uh, start praying about it and uh, they, they came to me and said, I, I just gotta tell you, I've been praying about this and I got this overwhelming joy as I was praying for a boy for you. And I'm going, okay, cool, well, I'm not overwhelmed with joy yet, but you know, I'm, that's, that's great that you're praying and, and that, that you've got this overwhelming sense of joy. So I'm gonna store that up too. Okay, cool, you know? All right, um, fast forward a couple more weeks and um, Lindsay wakes up one night. This has never happened. We don't have dreams. Her and I have never had dreams like this. She wakes up crying. And, and I, I said, why are you crying? She goes, I had the, a dream that was more real than any dream I've ever had in my life. I said, well, what was it? Like, I'm thinking like a kid died in the dream, right? She goes, I had a dream that God was handing me a baby boy. I said, wow. And the next day we found out we were pregnant. And then a couple weeks later we found out it was a boy. Jonas, gift from God. Now for some of you that makes you really uncomfortable, I don't care. <laughs> you can do whatever you want with that stuff that in whatever box you want because it would have made me uncomfortable a few years ago as well but this is what God is doing and this is what he's done in our life and, and now that's not the only thing he's doing but I can't not tell that story because especially of how it all lined up and so now I go back and I go two nationally known con artists huh God <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty unique Jonas, gift from God. Tell your story. Tell your story. This is who I was. This is what God has done. This is what he's doing. I challenge you this week, find one person, one opportunity. Ask them if you could take a few minutes of their time. Maybe it's only five or 10 minutes. Give them a five or 10 minute version of your story. This is who I was. This is what God has done. This is what he's continuing to do. And make sure when you tell them this is what he's continuing to do, it's, you're not perfect. Your sin problems haven't gone away. You still deal with stuff. You know, you don't want to present that. But tell them. And just see what God does. Maybe you've got more time and you can go to lunch and you can do a 30-minute version if, you, if your story can, can take 30 minutes. Fine, do that. And pray about who that would be so that you would have that opportunity. Because we should take every opportunity we can get to tell our story. Really tell God's story in our life. And others of you, maybe that's not your story, but it can be. This is who you are. But today it could be this is who I was. This is who you are. I've trusted in education. I've trusted in my background, my heritage, my gender, my, my ethnicity. I, I've trusted in my zeal for certain things. But this morning, maybe God's spirit is convicting you to say, none of those things are, are, are good enough to get you into my family. Only the righteousness of Christ can do that. Which Christ has stood in your place for the forgiveness of your sins died, rose from the dead so that he can give you a new type of life and bring you into the family of God. That can be your story today. And today you could start telling people, this is who I was. But on January 20, uh, February 24th, 2019, this is what God did. And then in a few days, in a few weeks, a few months, a few years, you're gonna be able to say, this is what God is still doing. 
So if that's the case, God's requirement of us is not that we perform, not that we impress him, but that we trust in Christ, his death and resurrection on our behalf. And maybe that's how you respond this morning. So let's go to the Lord and just ask him, what do you, what do you have with my name on it today? From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. a slave to fear, no longer a slave. And it's not because we've somehow broken the chains off ourselves and set ourselves free. No, it's because God, in your grace and in your kindness, you've extended you to us and broken those chains off, the enslavement to sin. You've opened our eyes that we could see the enslavement and you've shown us this is far better than, than what you're living. This is, this is what I intend for you. I want you to know me because in knowing God, we are, we are fulfilled in all that we were designed for. In worshiping God, we are fulfilled in all that we are designed for. And God, you've done that for so many of us in here and we're grateful to you. And you continue to show your kindness to us as you continuously work in our lives. Now, there are some here where you're calling them this morning. You're saying, listen, today, today you can be set free. And so, God, I pray that you'd open their, their eyes this morning, their heart to understand the gospel, your love for them, that they would respond by believing. Here in just a moment, we'll dismiss, and it, maybe you'd like prayer on something. Maybe there's something specific. Maybe it's something about the message, or maybe you want to know more about trusting in Christ. There'll be folks spread out around, around the room ready to pray for you. Just let them know. This is what I'd like to pray about, or I'd like to, I have questions about this. I'd be glad to answer that for you. So if you're part of that prayer team, would you go ahead and make your way in, in the areas in the room where you'd like to be? So God, as we go from here, would you let us be people who tell your story? Let us not be people who keep it silent, but instead tell your story for your glory. And God, use it if you'd be pleased to draw others to you so that their story could also include this is what God has done. God, we pray that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week.